Question asking is one of the most important aspects of problem solving. If someone only asks one or two questions, first, well, how is it done before? I don't want them on my team for the most part, unless they're gonna ask more questions. If you ask that question, it's only for information, not because you're gonna listen to that, whatever that was. You have to remember that how problems were solved in the past, maybe for the best for the situation in the past, but we no longer live in the past. We live in a different world. One, that problem may not have been for you. And since I've worked with government so, so freaking long, I understand how a lot of solutions have come to be. It just, somebody made up a decision who was in the right place at the right time or the right authority, and it was the best that they could come up with. And they sometimes even thought that somebody would just improve it later, but no one ever did. How do young men like us optimize our lives in a way that lets us achieve success and meaning? Come with me as I interview top performers and delve into key areas of life. Habits, finance, psychology, health, relationships, work, creativity, and business. I boil the ocean of men's advice into usable wisdom in this podcast to give you the answers. My name is Blake Bottrell, and this is The Distilled Podcast. My guest today is the human embodiment of at least this will be a great story later. From thinking she was dying at the age of 35 to almost being thrown in an Ecuadorian prison. From having her photography selected to be in the Canadian version of Monopoly to building an AI version of one of her closest friends. From educating Kenyans about new tax legislation to being the managing partner of a grain farm in rural Alberta. She's on a mission to make the world a better place by sharing her knowledge and teaching the world about why polymaths are going to win. Samantha Postman, welcome to the show. Well, <laughs> oh my gosh, Blake. Okay, you did your homework. <laughs> <laughs> We, uh, it's definitely something we like to do over here. So, wow. I wanted to sort of start with this idea because you're so deep into um, polymath learning and polymath thinking of this concept of luck by uniqueness. There's, uh, it was a book written in 1978 that has been, this idea has been circulating for those of us who are chronically online, that there's four different types of luck blind luck, luck from motion luck from awareness and luck from uniqueness. And the idea of a polymath perfectly fits this luck from uniqueness idea. And you have this many unique examples, I'm sure. But the one that comes to mind from the intro is this idea of teaching tax legislations to Kenyans on Twitter spaces. So I was wondering if you could maybe speak to the effect of being a polymath and executing this luck by uniqueness strategy. Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, start off with just explaining what a polymath is in case anyone in your audience doesn't know what a polymath is. So most people know who Leonardo da Vinci is and Leonardo da Vinci was multidisciplinary. So a polymath is someone who is multidisciplined. I'm not the polymath police, but generally speaking, you know, at least three masteries. Um, th there's a spectrum of polymathy is what I'll use the word polymathy. So to become a polymath, it's generally accepted you need to be quite good in at least three disciplines. Um, I, I've coined this term called polythinker, um, which is really a poly, somebody who's polymathic. So someone who's on that spectrum moving towards it. And there's different paths to that. Um, the uniqueness comes by, by uh, combining, when you start combining disciplines, because I mean, if you've got like a whole bunch of people who are trained in, let's say, I'll use your background, engineering. You know, I noticed that you have an engineering background. So let's, uh, what kind of engineering did you take in school, Blake? Uh, I mean, I was in school for, the original thing that I did was a, a year-long general engineering program at McMaster, and then uh, ended up doing a college program that was about a year and a half, and didn't really complete either one, but in doing that, I found out what I didn't want to do, so that was good. <laughs> okay, well, well, that's a good example. So general engineering, they're taking you a bit of everything. So when you start out, you've got this, like top of funnel, if you will. So we'll kind of go down. So you know, this large funnel and a large lot of people. Um, I'm actually going to go the other way. Let's do the pyramid because I like for polymathy, I like to use the pyramid the other way. So at the bottom, you've got this base level where everybody's got similar uh, training, similar experience, especially the school system. And so every time you tier a skill on that other people don't have, you've now narrowed it, which makes you more unique. There's less of you. So the more you add, the more you tier, like look at Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, look at how many 
uh, disciplines he has, I mean, you get this tiny little square at the top, or, or sorry, this tiny little triangle at the top that becomes very unique. And um, some people will use, you know, like pyramids or like that triangle that we see sometimes in that Illuminati, you know, this idea of this triangle at the top, but that's a, a unique insight because they're able to pull from so many diverse uh, ways of thinking that other people just can't do when you're down, when you're down at the beginning level. So I don't like to say bottom, but I would just say like in the general pool, if you will. So the more unique you are, yeah, I guess the more luck that could go both ways. Uh, you know, sometimes people, the problem with being so unique, uh, at times is that people just don't know where to put you because people like boxes and the bigger your box, the easier it is for people to place you. I'll just take something simple, males and females box, box. No, now people are trying to move those boxes around, but um, it's very easy to put people in boxes, if you will. So the harder you are to put in a box, the harder it is for people to understand you and know how to utilize you. For sure. I think based on the polarization of the world and, and people's necessity to almost put people in boxes, there's, like you're saying, not a dis... Like, I think obviously that the benefits of these being able to cross boxes has much more inherent advantage than not being able to be placed in boxes by people. But I can certainly see where you could encounter friction in terms of dealing with other people when attempting to cross some of these boundaries that you're talking about. And people will force you into them. So because it's comfortable for them. And that's a difficult thing. So when you're talking about this, like luck surface, if you will, I think that uh, somebody who has unique skill set knows how they fit. So they'll go to someone and say, hey, I can help you with this. But if the other person doesn't understand how that fits, then they'll not really let you go into that spot. So um, I, I don't know that luck, <laughs> if, if actually in a lot of ways, polymaths sometimes are less successful than people who are just specialists because and I don't think it's a lack of intellectualism or lack of skill. It's a lack of other people understanding how to utilize the person's skill set. So it's society that's holding back the, the generalists or polymathic types than it is the actual polymath themselves. Uh, of course, we can talk about that later. There are some things that hold a polymath back um, as well. But um, I think that in the new, what we call the new Renaissance or modern Renaissance, some people calling it the new Renaissance, or sorry, neo-Renaissance, which basically means new and modern, we're definitely starting to see um, a lot more people accepting and starting to look for them. And what we sometimes call like what you're calling uniqueness, uh, sometimes we'll call like uh, the purple unicorn. And that became very popular with Silicon Valley, of course, in the tech department and or the tech world. And so like if a polymath can, um, somebody who's polymathic can start to use terms that people are more used to using, that will really help them a lot because companies are looking for purple unicorns. People can do pretty much everything and fairly well. And so um, using a term that people use can be helpful too. For sure. You talk about a lot of the vision that comes as part of the association with being a generalist of and being able to see all these different things. Um, the example you use a lot is Steve Jobs, obviously talking about the tech world. So um, just coming back to the idea that uh, generalists are sort of, in your opinion, and I definitely see the advantage to having that generalist mindset and, and agree with that assessment is um, why is it important that people start to branch out and become more of a, a generalist or uh, follow down the path and fully become a, a polymath type, polymathic? Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go back to the Kenyan example because I didn't quite answer that yet. Uh, I got all I got all stuck up on the uniqueness stuff, but I think that those two really go well together. Um, when well, first of all, life is freaking boring if you're doing the same thing all the time. So like, even just for having a nice, interesting life, like, isn't that just worth it at all for everything? Like, I get that a specialist can make, can, not always, by the way, because of course, we're always using specific examples that, you know, suit people's uh, statistical uh, preference. But a specialist can make an insane amount of money compared to sometimes a polymath. However, I will say that they're just doing the same thing all the time. So, um, yeah, there's, there's variances within their field, but like personally for me, I would just like, that's in some ways to me, like a prison and it's not like that for everyone. Like I sort of like to use this example, this, um, image sometimes some people like to be in a cage. I'll, I'll use the word cage because to a polymath, that's a cage. 
um, they like to be in it because the food comes to them. They get, they, they're comfortable within their area. They can just sit back and watch TV and, you know, they're very comfortable in a very, I'll call a cage. Other people, you know, like animals, you go to the zoo, some animals are completely happy in that cage. Like they're doing fine or they adapt very well. They do fine. They, th they can thrive in it. Other ones, you know, the lion is freaking walking that thing, you know, walking the perimeter constantly banging on the glass, you know, so they're different types of people are the same way. And so if you don't want to be confined to one glass cage or whatever you want to call it, well, go for it. But I just think that life is too short to not have an interesting life and everything isn't about money. So I'm going to go to my uh, the Kenyan example that you gave me for anyone who's not listening, who doesn't know. Um, I have some, I used to be on Twitter spaces a lot. When they first came out, I was a beta host tester and did over hundreds of them. And through that, I met a lot of people. And uh, I met a guy who, I met a guy who was actually selected one of, I feel like 14 of the entire world to do a socialist movement with the United Nation Foundation. Um, and so I worked with him for quite a while, voluntary uh, position where we worked with uh, people across Africa uh, in just improving their wellness. Okay. So he was called the digital humanitarian. And, um, and so then I worked with him for quite a bit and through that, he, I mean, he was very well known in Kenya for lots of reasons, uh, very influential. And he knew that I had this tax background. So I used to be a tax accountant by first trade. I've done over 7,500 tax returns. And <laughs> yeah, that's what's, that's, that's the specialty. There's a lot within that specialty. And uh, so he said to me, hey, you know, Kenyans, Kenyans running into this new tax. Uh, it's called digital tax. Uh, it's for people who are selling digital products and things like that. So the governments, of course, want want to um, have a portion of that. They're just trying to educate Kenyans about it. And so he knew that I had it. But here's the thing. Because I know Twitter spaces, I knew social audio. I'm a social audio expert. Well, who, how many accounting like tax experts and social audio experts are you going to get in the world? Like at all. I mean, like probably none in Kenya. I mean, maybe one. I don't know. I never heard any of them. But, you know, so like so he, he came to me and he said, well, um, you know, can you help out with this? And I'm like, sweet, I can I can do that. So I went to the Kenyan website and this is what polymath polymathic type people can do. We take what we already know and just go over. So first thing I know is I've, I've studied Africa before because I, I know a lot of people there. To, so what I did one time is I took a map. And I colored all of the uh, countries that had been a, a British Commonwealth, because then I know English is one of the primary languages. And then also because Canada is a British Commonwealth, then we also have like similar types of like political systems and education systems. And so I know that the way we think is very similar. Um, and also the tax system is very similar. So I took those things that I knew already and then said, okay, so I went to the Kenyan website and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a lot like the Canadian tax system. And um, it was very fast for me to pick up what was going on. So I did a little mini audit of it. And then I went and read their tax law. Well, it didn't take much. So next thing we know, we're on the Twitter space and I'm helping them and I'm asking questions. I guess afterwards they were just like, how did you find this lady from Canada who knows all this stuff about Kenyan tax? Well, I mean, I literally studied it like two hours, but like I've done 20 years, 7,500 tax returns. And, you know, so that's, I took something I already knew and took social audio, but here's the thing with social audio. You have no visuals. So you have to have someone who understand has to be able to explain complex tax to people in a, in a way that they understand. Well, like I said, I did 7,500 tax returns from anyone from a recent immigrant who can barely speak English and was not trained in anything the way Canadians think to, you know, multi-million dollar CEOs. So I'm used to explaining complex ideas in simple, simpler ways that are easy for people to understand mostly through audio or through like voice. So um, anyway, that's just one example of why generalistic type of traits are very important because you can take something from one field and move it over to another. And then you have this unique luck, if you want to call it. That was maybe luck in lots of ways. I happened to meet somebody who connected me with them. Um, yeah, you know what, right there, I probably could have started a business with consulting uh, countries all over the world to help people learn about tax uh, obligations and how to do them through social audio um, events if I really wanted to. So I probably would have been, well, I would have been the only one in the entire world to do it if I, if I decided to do a business like that. So like, that's extremely unique. Absolutely. And it's not to like, I think people take this idea of maybe like luck as meaning a bad thing the luck in this context is more used as an all-encompassing term for um and 
of the four kinds of luck, three of the kinds of luck are ones that you can obviously influence yourself. And that's the whole point of it is that having more surface area through uniqueness or being able to see things differently or being in motion, um, learning new things, all of that stuff. That's where the, the, you increase your, your surface area. And like you said, it leads to any number of options. Obviously you're not the kind to, or, uh, at the time was not the kind to go the consultancy route and, and do all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it definitely opens up new opportunities for you. What have been some of the more surprisingly transferable skills that you've come across, um, in your time? Some people ask me, I, <laughs> it's funny, like, you know, everyone thinks their own life is just normal to them in many ways. And then when people ask you, you're like, that's interesting to you. Okay. So I didn't know how to articulate any of these until I started doing spaces. And that's the power of, uh, I think, speaking and writing. They're both very powerful uh, because you start to articulate things and then you can do it in a teachable way. And so it's through this that I was able to understand something that's specific to me. And then I tested it and was like, oh, okay, this actually works for almost like it actually works for all polymathic types. So I was able to test it and then ask others. So, yeah, that was kind of my uh, lead up to saying I would say, well, there's two things that I think are the most important and most transferable. So number one is curiosity, like a passionate curiosity, like you just can't it's insatiable, like you can't ever that's what I mean by interesting life. So it can work against us too, because sometimes we're, it's almost ADHD-ish. We can get diagnosed as ADHD when in fact, we're just insanely curious. And as soon as our curiosity is satisfied enough and we can finish whatever it is we have in our mind that we're pursuing um, of knowledge, we will move very quickly or we'll get what some people call a rabbit trail, but it's just a pivot. I, I don't like to call rabbit trail. I like to say it's a pivot. So this insane curiosity about how the world works, how people work, um, what knowledge gaps do I have that I'm interested in filling at the time? And it's, it's for lots of reasons. It could be a problem you're solving. It could be because of some trauma you had in the past that you want to resolve. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we want to, uh, we want to fill those, those curiosity gaps. So number one, curiosity, um, and really curious children. I mean, children are all born curious, but obviously we know which ones are born more curious, uh, and uh, by the way, curiosity does not kill the cat. That's just what society says because they don't want you to keep asking questions <laughs> or question what they're doing. <laughs> um, and then the other, the other key component, and I think these two are essential to all else. Everything else kind of jumps off of them. The other one is adaptability. Um, but I, people will use the word adaptability, but it's very reactive. So adaptability means someone's changed something, and so you have to adapt. And it can be very negative. Um, but I would like to say in my, I've actually changed that people will say adaptability, but I would actually say it's versatility because that's proactive. So, um, and I think that polymaths in general, they can be adaptable and versatile. There's, there's a slightly different nuance to them. And so that's that, that versatility. So going back to the Kenyan example, so I'm a Canadian tax expert. Um, I've actually even written uh, proposals to the Canadian Federal uh, Canada Budget Committee about how to re-stimulate the economy using a tax change. And so I was able to take that and be versatile and talk to Kenyans who, although they're speaking English, the English is different in some ways and the tax laws are slightly different, but I was able to be versatile enough to be able and adaptable both um, to their specific needs for their specific audience. So once you have those two things, I think every those two um, traits, everything else falls into place. Problem solving, because if you're a problem solver, you're curious and you're also very versatile and adaptable because some people who are problem solvers who think they are, they're always going to say what was done before and then solve the problem with what was done before. But a polymathic type brain will say, they will acknowledge what was done before, but it's just a piece of information. It's not a jumping off point necessarily. Um, it's a piece of information in the puzzle. So they'll look at multiple perspectives, which we get through traveling, learning multiple languages, asking people questions, curiosity, obviously, um, observation, noticing. I would say that polymaths are big time noticers, like it's over and above observate, observative. Noticing is like really um, a little bit more uh, acute. I'll use the word acute as opposed to just being observative. So, um, and then just let me, I wrote a couple things down because I know you're going to ask me this just to make sure. 
Um, of course, you know, everything else goes, all your meta skills go with that, right? So your critical thinking, your problem solving, um, strategic thinking, resilience, all of these, but I think they all stem from curiosity and versatility. Yeah. And I think you talked a little bit in there about um, being a problem solver and you, I, I've heard you talk before a little bit about the difference between being a problem solver and being a thinker. And do you have a good distinction there in terms of how we can sort of separate those two out and the, maybe the strengths and, and not necessarily weaknesses of each side, but um, just what the main distinction is there? Well, obviously I think problem solving is more action orientated, right? So there's, it's a solution. I sometimes will like to use the word solutionist, but one of my best friends kind of pushed me back on that, pushed back on that. And he's like, well, no, you need, you need to ask a lot of questions before you can get to the solution. But a thinker is just thinking they're, they're not always analyzing. Sometimes they're obsessing. So, you know, reliving the past, trying to rewrite the past, angry at whatever they're bitter. So a, a thinker isn't necessarily a proactive, proactive uh, solutionist, if you will. So um, what I call a polythinker is somebody who's looking for multiple perspectives, but their goal is always to be a problem solver and uh, in the best way possible. And I do understand that there's like secondary effects Um that can come into play and we'll, we try to minimize those as much as possible, but we're also more like, well, we'll figure out that step when we get to it. We, you know, trying to minimize what the secondary or ripple effects or whatever you, you want to call those are. Um, it's sort of like, I, and I will say that a thinkers, I mean, obviously a problem solver is a thinker. I'm just going to give an example of that. Just something recent. I just returned from Costa Rica. I uh, was there three and a half weeks. I was there at the two week point. And uh, my husband and I had a whole bunch of our luggage stolen. And um, yeah, 14k in four minutes, literally, we were moving Airbnbs, we had everything in our car. And um, some people must have just been watching us. And um, I've been to Costa Rica a whole bunch of times already, like I've actually lived there. So um, but I've never had my passport stolen. And I've traveled all over the world. Um, they didn't mean to take the passports, I don't think, but they were just in baggage that they took. So that was a problem we had to solve. We need to get out of the country. The only way to get home <laughs> is to get new passports, right? So that's a problem. So most people can solve that problem eventually to go online, get the website at the embassy. But here's the thing that's a difference between most people. I call, I, I get a hold of the embassy. This was Friday that everything got stolen. On Monday morning, I get a hold of the embassy, Canadian embassy. And they're like, okay, when you're flying out, I'm like Friday. And they said, well, in order to leave on time, you need to drive to the, you need to be at the embassy at 8 a.m. I'm five freaking hours away from the embassy. And I had just drove four hours, you know, over the weekend. And that meant that I was going to stay in the capital, which I didn't want to do because I don't want to go to museums and see monuments. I want to be in nature with the monkeys and the sloths and, you know, the toucans and the, right? I didn't go to Costa Rica to sit in, you know, some massive big city with tons of crime. And so um, with nothing to do for the week while they wait for my passports. And so most people would have done the thinking, what do I need to do to get home? And they take the simplest path. The simplest path is go to the embassy like they told you to at 8 a.m. And then you have to wait up to three days for, the, for a temporary passport. So I start asking questions. Um, well, I'm like, okay, well, do I have to be there to apply for a new passport? Well, no, I guess you don't. So from my years of doing taxes, this was my goals in taxes pay the least amount of taxes with the best outcome within the law. That's literally it. And that's a slider that moves depending on the person. Some people will pay a bit more tax for a better outcome. Maybe it's long-term planning. There's a bunch of things. We move those sliders around. But the law <laughs> is different than rules. Some rules are unbreakable. You cannot, they, they, but they're smaller than people realize. Just because someone tells you something is a rule or that you have to do isn't actually true. So you have to start asking more questions. What's the actual non-movable rule that is non-negotiable, cannot change? Well, the, in this particular case, the application just had to be there three days before we need the passports. Well, so then I said, well, can I courier it to you? <laughs> you know, like, and they were like, well, yeah, I guess you could do that. Not many people do. And that's the difference between a problem solver, because my best outcome is that I'm going to spend my time on the coast of Uvita, Costa Rica for the next week, like I planned, and not in the capital waiting for my passports for four or five days, you know, three to five days. So that's what I mean by the difference, because a problem solver isn't just about problem the solving, like a polymathic one is like the best outcome possible. 
So we couriered our, uh, our new application forms there, and then we went and picked them up before we flew out. Um, and so that actually was the best outcome that we could in the particular situation. So, but the thing is, I'm taking information from other things I've learned. One, government, because I've worked with government doing taxes for so many years, um, that I understand that there's different, there's workarounds, I will call them. <laughs> what's the workaround? First the question, what's the workaround? How do other people do it? What do I know already that I can transfer in? Well, I already know that you don't have to be in person to apply for a passport. So I'm, the th first thing I'm thinking is, do I have to be in person in a foreign country? Can I take a rule in Canada and apply it in Costa Rica? Turns out I could. But you have to ask the right questions. And I'll uh, before you go to your next question, I just want to make sure that, that people understand question asking is the most important, one of the most important aspects of problem solving. If someone only asks one or two questions, first, well, how was it done before? I like, I don't really want to, I don't want them on my team for the most part, unless they're going to ask more questions. If you ask that question, it's only for information, not because you're going to listen to that, whatever that was. You have to remember that how problems were solved in the past, um, where for one, maybe for the best for the situation in the past, but we no longer live in the past. We live in a different world. One, that problem may not have been for you. Uh, it's the solution isn't for you. And since I've worked with government so, so freaking long, I understand how a lot of solutions have come to be. It just, somebody made up a decision who was in the right place at the right time or the right, the right, um, uh, authority. And it was the best that they could come up with. And they sometimes even thought that somebody would just improve it later, but no one ever did. <laughs> It just stayed like that for years. So <laughs> the Canadian, like the tax systems are exactly that way. They're set up for one male earner where the female, where the wife didn't even file a tax return. Um, that's how the entire tax system is set up. And it's still set up that way, even though that's not the, the way the family system works, the family unit is anymore. So uh, something that worked in the past doesn't always work in the present. So that was my long answer. Um, asking a lot of questions and don't feel foolish. So something else that's really important is I don't feel foolish asking questions. It doesn't bother me at all. And if someone thinks I'm a fool for asking them, I really don't care. Like <laughs> I, the, the, my curiosity and solving the problem the best possible is more important than what somebody thinks of me. So we are willing to be beginners and that's very unique to, um, to polymaths. We will be the beginners time and time again. So every time we learn a new skill, I'm a beginner. I have never, ever consulted for a foreign tax agency before in my life. I've only ever consulted for Canadians. But that didn't stop me from being a beginner. So other people would be like, well, I've never done that before. And you're going to put me on a space with thousands, like literally thousands of people were in this space. And uh, would you do that? I don't know. I, I wasn't worried about it. I was just like, well, how is he going to learn? So um, attitude is everything. And so being a beginner is important. You cannot become an expert if you're not willing to become a beginner. But here's the thing. The more skills you stack, the less of a beginner you are. You're never a beginner. So if I want, like, you know, I'm learning Spanish. I'm not a beginner, beginner language learner. I've already mastered English. <laughs> like, you know, so what can I take about English and take over to Spanish? Once I learn Spanish, what do I learn? Well, I want to learn French. What do I know from English and French, or sorry, English and Spanish that I can transfer into French? I'm never a beginner ever. The more I build, the higher I'm starting. I'm at starting at an intermediate or just below intermediate level whenever I want to build something. So like for you, I noticed that you were into photography originally before everybody got into video. Well, going in to become a videographer, does it, you're never a beginner because you're taking all the things you learned as a photographer. You're already learning rule of thirds. You're learning exposure. You're learning how to storytell within in an image and um, uh, high key, low key. There's like all these th uh, editing software is very similar. So you're never a beginner as a videographer if you've already been a photographer. Are there any more examples that come to mind of places in your life where you've gotten better outcomes from breaking some preconceived rules? <laughs> oh, I can think of times when I didn't. Um, <clears throat> I'll give you an example of when I didn't. Um, I was in university, let's say 19 years old. And uh, I saw a posting on the wall at the university looking for uh, hockey announcers. So and everyone knows Canada is all about hockey. And uh, I thought, hey, I had done some public speaking as a, as a kid, did some training, you know, see students compete in some festivals. And so I thought, hey, why not try out? 
And I went and on, uh, I actually auditioned against a whole ton of people and I, I won the position. Well, I, uh, I don't, I'm not, <laughs> okay. First of all, this was 30 years ago. I'm going to age myself. Uh, and it did, you know, I bought, by the way, I don't even know that much about hockey. So, I mean, I know enough, but I used to play soccer and I played it all the way to university. So I'm like, okay, how different could it be offside? You know, <laughs> And there's like power plays and uh, penalties and all at the end of the day, they're very similar. So I just had to learn the language, you know, like that was a power play. That was a power play goal by number 44, Mark Wobeck, you know, like what, you know, in the, in the tone and everything. And I had to learn how to do the advertising. And so I became the hockey announcer for the men's pronghorn um, hockey, men's hockey university team. But I got fired. Uh, this would never fly now uh, because I probably could have sued for it, which I don't know that I would have. But the dads refused to go to hockey games announced by female. Turns out I was the very first female in that division in the entire Western Canada to be a hockey announcer. Um, and so that's one of those things. I was willing to be a beginner. Uh, I broke the rules. I, I actually don't. I, I mean, I understand rules, but I don't. They're not always applied to me. And I just I didn't grow up with them. My mom was 16 when she had me. So she broke all the rules already. So I was born with a lot less. Um, uh, I was born with a lot. I had lots of rules, but it's just a bit, societal rules weren't as important in our home as it would be in some other ones, I suppose. Um, so that didn't work. Obviously, now that would never fly you could just never even that you couldn't even hire fire somebody for their gender anymore. Um, so that's where it didn't work, but it didn't make it stop. Um, so that's where it didn't work. So, but you know what? I just picked up my feet and was like, you know what? That's just, that's fine. I learned a lot through the entire process. And uh, sometimes you have to realize that you are sometimes the very first one. People aren't ready. I'll have an idea for a solution and people will bucket. They'll be like, even if they think it's a good idea, they just won't because they haven't had time to think about it. They haven't had enough people. They haven't, they, people need time. And I had to learn that the hard way. So I'm not offended any, I'm very rarely offended if I given a solution to something that I think would work really well, if people don't adopt it, or maybe three years later, and it's somebody else who suggested it, because I realized that sometimes they just needed someone to be the first one. So um, and that's a lesson for everyone. When you have an idea that you think is really good, it doesn't mean it's not a good idea. It just means that people weren't ready for it yet. And you were the first one to bring it and you started the process for their brain to start thinking. So when the third one got there, for sure, they got all the freaking credit. Um, but it would not, may not have even happened had you not been the first one to start that process. Because if they'd been the first one, they would have got nowhere either. So um, unless it was like an emergency or something like that. So where it works... Uh, oh, an example of where it works. Um, I don't know. I have a bazillion of them. What interests you? Like what, how, how could I help you, uh, Blake? Um, I don't know. That's an interesting or your question. I think. Or your audience. <laughs> what, what's something that they're really struggle with that they could use some. I mean, been there, done it. <laughs> truthfully, for me, I guess maybe it's a, a. I mean, as I sort of work through things with the the podcast and building all this stuff um, on the side, as I go through my day to day marketing stuff, it's mostly a. And I think I do a good, or I would like to think that I do a good job of this on my own, but just making sure that I'm taking enough time for myself and putting myself out there enough to be in front of people to actually have that surface area that we've been talking about and making sure that uh, I'm not like sending two emails and hoping someone gets back to me or like DM one person. And if they don't get back to me, it's whatever it's uh, I understand the importance of networking, but have not always been the best at like following through and actualizing some of that stuff um, to actually put myself in front of the people that I need to. So. So in your particular case, something I think that could work well is um, if someone responds to you and says no, for whatever their reasons are, ask one more question. Be like, uh, hey, is there anyone else you know that you could refer me to? Because the power of a warm intro is probably one of the most powerful networking um, tools there are. And so 
um, because I've already met you in a few spaces, if I wasn't able to adapt, you know, able to say yes, because of my schedule or a number of reasons, if you had said to me, is there anyone else, you know, I could ask, because I said no, I'm probably going to feel obligated to help you out because I don't want to be like, (laughs) you know, the staff is all here. I might actually say this and then you're, I might say, actually, I might know somebody. And then your next is, Hey, would you mind, um, would you mind introducing me to them? But then your job would even make it easy for me. And so when I, I have done some consulting for people and what I'll do is I like, Hey, I have three people I know I can warm intro you to you. And I promise you that 90% of the time these people get hired. If I put my name on somebody more than likely there's somebody else is going to say yes, it might even be higher than 90%. Um, and so, but this is what I do. I'm like, write up the intro for me so that I don't have to do it. So anything I still to will you, make anything things to easier make it for, simpler. Yeah, exactly. Say, you know, I can write the warm intro, like, cause I, first of all, what is it you want um, from them? How can they help you? What's their time? Time is really important. It takes about this much time. I do all the prep. Like I think in your case, when you reached out to me, if you had done a little bit more of that, like it's about this much time. Um, I can, you know, this is what we talk about as opposed to here's the link to my podcast where I have to go do the, the work. So reduce my work will help you. Um, but then the warm intro is super important. So um, I've got like, um, uh, I, I before COVID, I used to have my finger on the pulse of a lot of the business in my community. And when, and I used to mentor young adults for two and a half years. And so anytime they had a job position, they would message me and be like, Hey, Samantha, I have a job for this. You know, anybody. And if I recommended someone for that job, they got hired every stinking time, every time, just because I literally, and I, one of my friends uh, was divorced doesn't even have her high school for multiple reasons. And I had, I was at a conference with somebody and uh, I said, Hey, do you have have any positions open for this type of work? Like secretarial, you know, and I know somebody would be great fit to you. And he was like, actually, we're, we're actually creating a position like that right now. Like literally building an office space for that exact position. And I said, sweet. Um, when does it start? And he said, well, it doesn't start for two months. And I said, that's actually a perfect fit. They did interview her, but they told her that they hired, they already pretty much hired her before they even interviewed her based on my recommendation. And so that's what I mean by like a warm intro. So use that to your advantage. People who already like you know somebody, people like me know people like me. So, um, anyway, that's my little tip for you. (laughs) I... Again, I'm a big proponent of, so I should say, I've only ever been hired for one job in my life because of what I know and not who I know. So that 100% rings true and uh, is absolutely the way to go about things. I I know a lot of people um, like to give flack to some of the Ramsey Solutions organization, but uh, their career guy, Ken Coleman, talks all the time about the importance of like a resume is great and everything, but the way you actually get a job is by like finding out who works there and getting in interface with the people, whether it's in this day and age, you go on LinkedIn and and find out who they know that you know that could be a warm intro to whoever. And like, that's the way to go about getting a job. It's not about putting your resume in a stack of 1500 other people who are trying to get that same job so well you only have me for a short period of time more like what is burning in your mind like what can i help you with you know what like i could talk about all these things about polymath but heck now we have we have we have chat gpt which is like the freaking like polymath on steroids and two, two seconds fly you could ask it to be a travel agent five seconds later you could ask it to be like an accountant next thing you know it's a tax advisor so like that's like literally your your personal polymath but um you know, like I, I, I love helping people with problems. So we've got the one problem. What's another problem? Like, what can we help you get unstuck with, Blake? I, I mean, I, I sent this to you in the Twitter DM yesterday, but honestly, I think my single largest and realistically only problem that I have right now is this whole networking problem. I want to have more interesting conversations with interesting people. And right now it's a network limitation for me. I have, I, I this is not, I'm, this is going to sound uh, arrogant or whatever, but I've received a handful of unsolicited positive feedback about the podcast after only like 15 episodes. And it makes me believe that this is where I'm supposed to be. And like, this is the project that I should be working on right now. So as we've been talking about polymaths and doing a bunch of different things, I'm really trying to focus, um, head on, on this one project in my life. So, um, I think I have the ecosystem around it down. It's mostly just, uh, this is sort of the one problem that I'm 
trying to solve. And that's not to say in three years, it'll be uh, the exact path that I take, but I think focusing on this for the next little bit is probably where I see myself ending up. So Sweet. So like, okay, what kind of people do you find interesting? Like when you say you want to interview interesting people, what does that mean to you? That's a tough question. Not what, not what your audience is going to find interesting. What do, who do you find interesting? Yeah, no, I I think for me, like all of this started out and and will still continue to be um, a an exercise in helping to uh, bring good advice to young men because I think there's a gap in that right now, um, and not just um, from like a societal point of view, but like. I feel like that's where I have some personal story that I can help people with. Um, and not to say that my life was difficult by any sort of stretch of the imagination, but I think I have, I, I've been able to navigate my way through a handful of, of trivialities that give me a sort of unique perspective on this. So um, keeping that in mind as a conscientious um, thing to tie everything back to, but also I just really love having, um, intellectual conversations. And I found that I was not having the outlet of being able to find that in my day-to-day uh, -day life, whether that be a, a consequence of location or circumstance or what have you. But um, we have the internet now and that's able to facilitate more of these conversations. So um, that's sort of where I've ended up. So There is a, a fairly new podcast called, uh, I'm going to look it up a minute, Global... Um, I'll look it up while we're chatting here a minute. I would definitely recommend going through their podcast list because they're looking at some of the same types of people you are. And then just like literally asking all the people they are said yes to them because they're more than likely going to say yes to you. So they're, you know, here's the similarities that we can, we can pick up from that. Well, one, they're willing to say yes to a new podcast, which not everybody is. Um, uh, two, there are, they've already vetted out the kinds of people you're looking for. Interesting, creative, you know. Um, the kind of people you find interesting. And a lot of these people are thought leaders already. So there's a place right there. And, you know, um, I'm going to say this out loud, but I don't like saying it like this, but I'm just going to. Um, essentially, you need to feed people's ego. So if you're like, hey, you were on the global interview and I, you know, I thought you had some really great things to say. I find you really interesting. Heck, I like it when people say I'm interesting. Nobody, everyone wants to hear that. Like things that you like hearing, other people like to hear too. I find you interesting. You know, I'm a new podcast too, just like they are, they were, and um, I would love to have you on my show. Boom. You know, this is your requirements, uh, you know, like your time, your time constraints, what we're going to talk about. Um, and the nice thing about the global interview is, and I'm just going to give you a, a tip about them. So he's got the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, he has not backlinked it very well, but most of the people that he's interviewed on the podcast are also people that he's done a written review. And I don't know if you saw mine, but he did a, a, pub a magazine publication review uh, interview with me in June of last year. And then they did a podcast one with me later. I, I wish you would interlink them so you could just go back. But then for you, all your research is done because he's already done an interview for you. So, um, you know, so there's an idea right there about how you can leverage this. And the thing is, a lot of the people that he's interviewed know each other. And so that will help you too. Oh, I interviewed Samantha. Now, guess what? You can like literally use that because a lot of the people he's interviewed know who I am. So, hey, I interviewed Samantha. She said yes. Boom. Oh, it's great insight. And it's all like stuff that I'm uh, thinking about and, and well versed in and, and like really just trying to absorb as much of that information is just making sure that I uh, get out of my comfort zone in actually asking for uh, the things that I want. So, um, but you, you've already done that. Like you asked me and I mean, I, it's, you asked me, I was like, Oh, okay. Cause you know, usually small podcasts are a little more nervous about that sort of thing, but you asked me and you got past that. It wasn't scary. I said, yes. I don't always say yes to new podcasts because uh, I get burned. It's not necessarily because they're small, but I've been on podcasts and they don't do any referral links at all. And I'm like, so I gave you an, you know, it's probably three hours of my time between the chit chat before. And then, you know, I kind of look at what, you, what's your podcast about. I might even listen about to one, you know, what, and I kind of, curate my thoughts before we talk because I might have been talking like I run a farm so I might have been talking about marketing grain you know an hour before we get on the line it's not like a specialist where your brain is in the same mode all the time I literally have to 
flip a switch, turn things off or pivot. So it takes a lot for me to like move over. So, and that's what I said to you. I'm like, are you going to backlink? You know, cause if I'm going to give you my time, what are you going to do in return? So that's really important to let people know. So I am way more fussy about the podcast I go on now. If, if there's not going to be any like, thank you. Like for me, that's gratitude when you're like, Hey, if you want to check Samantha out, go to her website, um, samanthapostman.com. And uh, I've got a new initiative starting up pretty soon called Polythinkers. And uh, we're probably going to be launching that up starting in January. Most of the planning's done for that. I've got a new partner for that. So um, yeah. And that will help you out too. If you let people know, this is what you're going to get in return. And I, I, try in my life to lead in a lot of places with gratitude. And I understand that being a small podcast, the onus is on me to um, really provide some sort of value for people's time, whether that's making them think something different about themselves when they leave, or whether it's just providing a well-researched and not the same podcast they've done 50 times prior to um, that. So I, I really take pride in myself of like, Knowing that I am in the early stages of this and knowing that I have to be able to provide at least some sort of tangential value um, on the back end for these lovely people like yourself who provide me with an hour of your time. So um, I okay, hope that I'm doing a good job. <laughs> um, what else can I help you with? I mean, you can ask me more questions if you want, but like, I feel like helping that it's a good use of, of my time too. And we teach as we're, as we're helping people. That's a really good way to teach. Of course. Um I think maybe one thing for me is you seem to have a handful of strategies in terms of like learning to learn and picking up all these new skills and learning for me is a big thing, but I, I often wonder if I'm taking the most and perhaps the most direct path isn't always the correct path, but uh, a more direct path to picking up new topics quicker to be able to more confidently speak on a handful of different things. So, um, what are your sort of uh, tips for for learning to learn and building some of those meta skills? Again, all things I have never articulated before. I just like I have one of my best friends who uh, died actually in May uh, would ask me these questions. I'm like, what? <laughs> People do that? Like, there's some strategy to it. Um, and some things are very conscious. Like when I do tax, I I'm very conscious of the strategies I'm using. Um, especially when people ask me to teach them to them. But when it comes to learning, it's just things you just innately do. Like if you were to say to Leonardo da Vinci um, or Elon Musk, how do you learn so fast? It, they would take a bit. They'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I don't know. How do I do that? For us, it's like walking. But I started to realize that there are some fundamental uh, basics. So number one is, I. so I think one of the most important things you can do is build your confidence first, because when people have confidence, they're more willing to stand tall and then try something after. So number one, build your confidence first. I didn't know that's what I was doing. So by do, so this is how you do it. What do I already know that I can transfer in? So let's use videography. Like, I know this is something that you already done, but it's something you're familiar with. So, um, what do I already know about videography? Right. Well, if you use Adobe Photoshop, well, you would be able to take on Adobe Premiere quite easily because it's all the same tools, the same language. You know, it's just now instead of using layers on Photoshop, you're now using, um, you know, the layers are just slightly different the way they do them in Premiere tracks and timeline, timeline. What do I already know? What can I transfer in? Um, you also know <clears throat> how to tell a story because in photograph in photography, you need to tell a story in one photo. Well, videography is very similar, right? How do we how do we not over send, how do we not over stimulate the audience with information while giving the right amount of information in a pleasing aesthetic way? You already know how to do that because you have photography. So, <clears throat> can you still build your photography skills? For sure, but here's the cool thing that happens. As you build your videography, it will backfill your photography and you'll get better at photography. And that's the thing that people don't understand. They're just like, well, I have the specialty, but I promise you that if you add another layer, another skill set, especially if it's somewhat related, you will you will automatically become better at your specialty. It just it happens because you're adding more perspective that you didn't have before. Um, and so that's number one. So uh, build your confidence. What do you already know? And then where's your gaps? Right. So um, that's that's the. Well, actually, I would say practice your confidence first at the beginning, like just looking at them, getting them down. Because so like I'll use the example of when I was trying to learn Spanish. <clears throat> um, I went online and I was like, what's the similar? Like I literally went online. First thing I did was uh, what are what are all the commonalities between English and Spanish? Because obviously I know English. 
And so some guy, Synergy Spanish, wrote a thousand and one words that are almost exactly the same in English. They're just slightly different. So university is universidad. So anything with a T-Y pretty much becomes D-A-D in Spanish. Shit, I now know a thousand Spanish words. <laughs> like, how, like, that's confidence building right there. Okay, so uh, that I, we call those English cognates or things. But um, so that builds my confidence up and I can practice those right away. And when I'm using, uh, when I'm using, when I speak in Spanish, I will use those words on purpose. But here's the cool thing. I'm just going to add this to go to the back. So when, so I just came back from a month in Costa Rica. Obviously, English isn't the first language of most people there. And even people who speak it really well, it's, it's, they're not native speakers. But I also taught English, which is a bit of a story. I should tell that story before we finish. Uh, remind me of that one. I was teaching English in Costa Rica. But when I'm in a, in a, in a, in a, in a international country, I will speak simpler English because I'm backwards filling, because I know how hard it is to learn and I know how important English cognates are, so I will simplify my English. So when I'm speaking to somebody, instead of saying, this is uh, difficult, if this is hard, hard doesn't have a word in English and Spanish, but I will say difficult, because in Spanish it's difficile. So I will adjust my English. So one thing that when I did spaces, I had a lot of, I speak really fast too, and I, I can slow down, but, um, when I was doing spaces, people would tell me all the time how easy my English was to understand. Well, one, I think it's because in West Canadian West, we sound like Hollywood and they're just used to, they're used to that like accent, if you will. <laughs> my husband likes to say we have no accent in the West, uh, West of Canada because we sound like Hollywood. But anyway, it's a bit of a joke. Um, but one, I think is the accent they're used to because watching TV. But two, I simplify my English so, because to make it so words that they're used to. So my English gets better when I'm speaking to internationals, simply because I'm learning Spanish. All right, so now you're filling in your gaps. What do I need to know first? So this is emergency. I need to know how to say, you know, how do I do this? Where's that? How do you know, like, um, you know, that's the problem with language programs. They teach you freaking everything. Like the, you know, the horse drinks water. No joke, Rosetta Stone, oh, milk. The Rosetta Stone actually had me teaching me saying the horse drinks milk. When the freak is a horse ever going to say that, like, never. Plus, I'm hardly ever going to use the word horse. I don't even eat horse. It's not on the menu. Like, like when are you ever going to say that? Anything in, like, so, you know, so that's the next thing that polymaths will do. What do I need to learn first? And then what's the most important? So when I'm traveling, traveling English or Spanish is the most important. And it's interesting to me because I'm solving a problem. I need to solve the, the most urgent problems. Um, and then that builds confidence because I'm using words and getting better at it. And then I can start to add on to it. So that's basically it. Like, those are like the fundamentals, <laughs> like build your confidence, fill your, and then fill your gaps. But the gaps you want to fill first are the ones that are closest to you, not someone that someone else tells you. So maybe, maybe eventually you want to do professional, I'm using Spanish now. Um, I switched from videography to Spanish just because I came back from Costa Rica. So let's just say I want to, I want to do conferences in, in Spanish. Well, that's a long ways out. Like I'm going to take me a long time and I'm not even practicing in that, but I need to learn travel Spanish first. Cause the second I land, I now need to know how to get to the, how to get to the air, you know, how to get to my rental agency, how to read the contract, you know, whatever. So, um, those are the fundamentals and like, just have fun. If it's not interesting to you, let it go or make it interesting. So what I call is like a reframe. So make it interesting. There are things that I don't like, but when I make it interesting or give it a reframe or a purpose, all of a sudden I get excited about it. And reframes are very, very important. So I'll give you an idea of a reframe. Um, uh, people, this is something about polymathics are more like this too. So they're always like, how come you're, well, like most people see roadblocks. So you come to a problem, it's a roadblock. You know, so roadblock or a wall, we'll even say that we use those terms um, or obstacle, right? An obstacle is another one. Well, depending on the person, how big that obstacle look, it might look so big, you can't see on the other side. I don't look at things that like that ever. I look at things as hurdles. Hurdles and are meant to be jumped came, over. Well, actually, <laughs> there. so now you just followed society's rules. I don't follow society's rules. So I didn't realize this is where I got it from. I used to be a track runner and I did sprinting. And so I'm on the track all the time. There's always hurdles on there. I wasn't a hurdle jumper myself, but they're always on the track, especially when you're doing sprinting because they're on the same, on the main track. Um, but the, here's what's cool about hurdles. 
one, you can see to the, you can see the finish line, right? Can see right through them. But here's the thing with hurdles. The only time you need to jump them is when you're actually running a race, which timed for ribbons. I don't need your freaking ribbon. I just want my own ribbon. I just need to get to the finish line. How I get there is up to me. I can go around that thing. I can go under because you have to remember that hurdle might be set for a six foot guy. I'm five feet five and I can't jump as high. I might have to go under that thing right? Or I can push it over. <laughs> There's a lot of things I can do. I don't have to follow everyone's rules. The only thing I need to do is get to the finish line. How I get there is up to me. But everything you encounter, life is not a bunch of obstacles. It's a bunch of hurdles. Everything is a hurdle. They're different sizes, different weights, whatever they are. You just have to figure out how to get around them or through them or under them or whatever it is to get to the finish line. And there's going to be more hurdles along the way. Anyone who thinks there's one hurdle in your life is just like, you know, that's a problem. People who think, oh, I shouldn't have any problems in my life. Well, no wonder you shut down because you're angry at the hurdle. Hurdles is just a whole bunch of them before you get to the finish line. And that finish line can be of the day or the your lifetime, whatever that is. So that's a reframe. When you look at a problem, and it might be something you don't like, as a hurdle, that reframe in itself can take a lot of the resentment, the bitterness, and all the things that keep you from, from overcoming it away. So it's just a reframe. Actually thinking about writing, I have a book. I have a book mind and idea of like all these reframes I do. And that's like one of them is, is hurdles instead of obstacles or walls. or. So uh, yeah, let's go back to the Costa Rica story. So in 2016, 2017, in 2017, um, my daughter was talking about, she's my youngest, my youngest child. And she was talking about becoming a teacher. She was in high school, grade 11. And, uh, I thought, man, so in, in where I come, where I live, it's a five-year program and you could be out $80,000 to go to school for five years to become a teacher. So I thought to myself, she wasn't sure really, she was really good. She used to teach in Sunday school, freaking amazing at it. And she wasn't sure. And she was kind of leaning towards not going in. And I thought, well, there's two, two, two things here. One, she, uh, she's either going to regret not going and wish she did, or two, she's going to spend 80 K in five years of her life and hate it and wish she didn't because, you know, maybe I told her to, or, you know, she felt pressure, whatever it is. And so I thought, how can we solve this problem? Um, and so I convinced my husband, very traditional, <laughs> conservative Christian guy, uh, to take my daughter out of school for a semester. And we went to Costa Rica and did a teaching English as an additional language certification, which is basically a minimal viable career. So uh, she went to an alternate school in Alberta, which was 6K a year. And so I took her out for one semester. So the 3K that I saved for her to go to school, we spent towards, the, um, towards her getting her certification. So here she is, 16 years old, and we moved to Costa Rica for two months. And we lived in hostels with 18 to 30 year olds, like hostels. So this is not like the nice guy. Like this is the kind that are super basic. You're like, you're pretty much glamping. Well, it's a little over glamping. Um, and we lived there for two months. So the first month we got our certification while volunteer teaching. And then we volunteer taught this. We stayed on uh, because we're already there. We stayed on and, and volunteer taught the second month. Um, I don't need to teach like, you know, the farm makes enough money. And for me, it's just an adventure and one more fun thing to do. Uh, she decided she was freaking amazing at it. Uh, and she decided not to go into teaching in, in that, in like a traditional sense, the way this was done. But, um, she learned Spanish while we were there. Uh, here's where I'm bucking the system, right? So like at the school, all the, like the teachers were just blown away that I pull her out of school to do this. And she, she didn't have to internet school, but here's all the cool things that came from that. So one, obviously we got some bonding. Um, I took her out of French and put her into Spanish, which in my personal opinion is more useful than what the West anyway, and if you're traveling. Um, and here's the thing. I'm going to fast forward a little bit for her. Uh, she took one year of university. She went, she became, she became into editing publisher. So that's, that's actually language based, right? <laughs> she, she did that. There's more of that story about why she went into that, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, she was one year at Simon Fraser University in, uh, just outside Vancouver in the Valley. And uh, over COVID, everybody got sent home, like ever all the other students. And so she's got one year of undergrad. Uh, there's only two universities in all of Canada that do what she wanted in undergrad when she went. So that's why she went to Vancouver. And uh, But then after one year, the school's going to close some more because they have so many international schools at that particular school. They, it's, a, it's basically an international intake school. And so they were going to close again and everything was online. And by the way, my daughter made the dean's list over COVID. 
when hardly anybody else did. And she's not like a rock star student. She's good, but that's because she had internet schooled on her own already. Self-paced school, you know, had practice before everybody else did it. So here's the cool thing that happened to her. She's at home and I'm like, well, first of all, you need to go back to Simon Fraser because everybody's moved to an online world. I have a master's, by the way, that I got at 40 online before online was a thing. It's from Chicago, actually, and I live in Canada. So I'm very well aware of what you can do online. Um, and so I said to her, well, if you don't have to go to that school, well, you can go anywhere in the world now. So we started looking up her program uh, worldwide. And obviously, we want to work on a Canadian dollar because that's crazy if you go to the US, you pay national fees. But we found a university in, uh, in Toronto called Ryerson, and they had a graduate program for publishing. Here's what the website said um, recommended undergrad, four year degree, or 21 with industry experience. Well, she doesn't meet either of those. But this is what a polymath person will do. The word was not required. The word was recommended. So to me, the door is unlocked. But everybody else sees required. So I said to her, why don't you apply and see what they say? And she's like, well, mom, I'm 19 years old. Well, she was 18 years old. I'm 18 years old. <laughs> I only have one year of undergrad. Uh, this ain't happening. I've never worked in the industry other than she, um, uh, other than she, than she had uh, edited my master's program. So she did the interview. And here's what got her in. She had her teaching English as a foreign language. It's a university uh, certified program. She got when she was 16 years old. She had already edited all my masters. I had a 4.0. And uh, they looked at all her international travel and they, and she was, and they basically said to her, heck, it's COVID. Let, and they let her in. She skipped three years of university and saved herself like some insane $50,000. <laughs> and she has a graduate. She has a graduate certification. And she graduated um, before her 25th, she was 20 years old uh, and she was the young, she was before they're even allowed to be in usually at 21. And so it ended up saving her insane amount of money. She skipped the line and she got to do what she loved and didn't have to take all these courses she didn't want to do anyway, which that's another story. But um, this is what I'm saying. And that was a long way of, of, of saying the decisions you make in the moment, sometimes breaking the rules or the norms of societal things, sometimes later... The, what you're calling luck surface, increased her luck surface for later. So she got into a university and then she was done in two years, loved what she did. And she's already working. She's edited a bunch of books that are on, on Amazon. By the time she was 19 or 20, she'd already edited a book on Amazon and paid, well paid. So like that's that's what happens when you're willing to solve the, solve a problem that you have in a creative way. I can't think of a more uh, perfect uh, example for why it's important to continue to think outside the box in some of these ways. Samantha, I appreciate your time. And, uh, where should we send people to, uh, find all your stuff? Um, yeah, like I've got my smithpostman.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. I'm definitely not as consistent as I could be simply because I'm so busy living a huge life that I don't always have time to write about it in a way that people, you know, in a writable way. But I do write sometimes. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter or X. Uh, if you look at my account, I used to, I had actually 14 million, uh, I had 14 million reach in March and now it's practically nothing with the new algos. And then I kind of went off for a month, which is totally bad for my social media. But uh, when I was in Costa Rica, I just took the took some time to just focus on relationship and and being in Costa Rica. So I'm going to be starting up some Twitter spaces again. But you can definitely find me over on Twitter. Uh, usually respond to my DMs if you've got a, um, a verified account. Otherwise, um, and if you are polymathic, yeah, like if you go to my website, if you go three quarters way down, you can sign up to hear the updates about this Polythinkers community and, and initiatives that were starting in January. So I've started to realize, well, some time ago, I realized that polymathics need a place to be. It's exactly like what you said. We need a place to intellectually di discuss and not like not talk about weather. Um, there is an importance for talking about weather, I, I do think, actually, because you can kind of test somebody's temperature about where they're at based on how they, how they interpret the present weather, <laughs> you know? And so there's, there's, they're revealing something about themselves, the way they tell weather, but that's about as interesting as the weather gets to me. So other than, well, for the farm, obviously I need to care a lot about weather. Um, but if you want intellectual speaking, uh, we do some cool stuff. Uh, I've been running this group for two years in beta um, I'm kind of on a small scale. We do some cool stuff like get get unstuck where someone tells a problem and then everybody just kind of like goes in and jumps in and like all these ways you can solve that problem creatively and, and comes up with an action plan in a very short period of time. So we do some cool stuff in there. 
Um, so yeah, that's how you can find me. Um, I do have a YouTube channel. I've kind of paused it for a while. When my best friend died in March, I had to take care of his estate and we're digitalizing his estate so that he can become a chat bot. And uh, so I just kind of had to let some stuff, some things go while I work on other projects. So, but I'm hoping to kick that back up soonish. <laughs> so anyway, thanks, Blake. You've been a great host. Uh, you did really great on asking some really good questions. You did your homework. Holy cow. I was super impressed in the first few minutes. I was like, whoa, I don't even remember half that stuff. But uh, thank you again for having me on today. And I hope like something that I asked you is like, why are you having me on for men? Um, but I think that what we forget is that women sharpen men and men sharpen women. I do think that it's important for each of us to have our own spaces. And that's a, that's one of our biggest cultural uh, traversities is that we've blended the, we've blended men and women too much in lots of places, but in other places, not enough. And so um, I appreciate you willing to uh, speak to some, to, to speak to me and hope that I added value to your audience for things that can transfer between genders. Of course, I don't think, uh, and I said this to you in the, the DM here, but I don't think good wisdom discriminates against who uh, it comes from. So um, is it as hyper-tailored as it could be? Maybe not, but the, the grand outcome is going to be that um, you just learn good and interesting things. So uh, I appreciate your if time you and want, thanks for coming on. And if, uh, yeah. So if, if you ever want to ask specific questions that you want to ask women about men, let me know. Cause I used to mentor just men's groups sometimes and holy cow, the stuff they ask you, I was like, it's stuff that they want to ask, but just don't have any female to ask in a very open and direct way. So um, yeah, we could always do that sometime too, if you like. Of course. Perfect. Thanks, Samantha. Right. Appreciate it.